This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we've got uh, a double treat for you today. We've got Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to talk not only college football and football in general, but also racing because he was at the Daytona 500 uh, this past weekend. We got the St. Petersburg Grand Prix, the Firestone St. Petersburg Grand Prix coming up uh, uh, the 25th through the 27th. Anyway, Matt joins us now. Matt, I wanted to start with the Daytona 500 because I watched this race, but I watch it as a sports writer, and I'm unafraid to say this. Couldn't Bubba Wallace have just gotten a just a fender in front of of the Austin Cindric for that for that win that that I was rooting for? It would have been it would have been uh, it would have been very well read. I can tell you yeah. that. Um, yeah, it, Bubba is a fantastic story. I, I didn't realize how I don't know if polarizing is the right word, but kind of lightning rod he is until I was looking at some. I made a mistake of looking at comments on social media at one point, which you should never, <laughs> ever, 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 ever do. Um, so I didn't realize just how much I knew he was a big deal in the sport and he's arguably the biggest name in the sport, but I didn't realize quite how much crossover appeal that he had to just Joe sports fan and yeah. Jane sports fan. Um, everything, I mean, he has done what he needs to do to, to be a success. I mean, obviously he is the first black driver NASCAR has had, First full-time black driver NASCAR's had in a long time. For a sport that is steeped in the South the way NASCAR is, that's a big deal. It absolutely is a big deal. Um, but his rise on its own is impressive enough. I mean, I remember, I think it was in 18, he finished second at Daytona. And, and he was in, in tears in the media room afterward, hugging his family, just because he was so thrilled to be, you know, he didn't win, and obviously he wanted to. But he was so thrilled to be that close and to be in the big show doing well. And I remember a year, it was around that same time at a media day, he was he was frustrated with his team. Frustrated is maybe a little strong, but I remember talking to him, and, and he he was trying so hard to get more sponsors, because obviously in racing it's all about the money, and you need the sponsors to make it happen. So he was trying so hard, doing everything he could to try and get sponsors, and there just weren't enough people biting, to the point where now... You know, he had his big thing with McDonald's, launched some new clothes or whatever here uh, within the last week or so. And like he's literally turning away sponsors because they don't work for what he's looking for or the money thing or, or they're, they're full or whatever the case may be. Wow. To go from where he was to where he is in a couple of years is remarkable. And then, uh, uh, by the way, the guy can drive. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he, won, he won at Talladega last year. Yeah, it was a range shortener or whatever, but still. He, he's he's good at super speedways. He's he's improved and he's on it. You know, it's got some good equipment now with the uh, with, with the Jordan Hamlin uh, race team. So from a, from a looking at it from a story perspective, Bubba Wallace winning would have been absolutely massive, no question about it. Yeah, I mean the story. And we'll get to Austin Cindric uh, here in a minute, but that was a good enough story to say the least. But um, you know, it was interesting because Wallace, I guess he had finished second before, right, in this race. Am I correct? Yeah, twenty eighteen. But but his attitude was totally different. Like, he was really ticked off that he didn't win this one. Like, the first time I think he was like, oh, I finished second. That's fantastic. You know, what a run. 
This time it was like, oh man, you get that close, right? And um, he made the move that he needed to make at the time, and he just, you know, it was it was half a car length or so. But um, but you can see like just the expectations have risen so greatly for him. Um, and I'm with you. I mean, I think he's he's going to be one heck of a face of racing for a while if he can continues to to drive the way he has. Yeah, it, NASCAR needs personality. Um, yes. You know, when, when I was growing up and, and, you know, Dale was doing his thing and Jeff Gordon and those guys, they yeah. had personalities. And that's what made this, you know, that's what made the sport as big as it was, where yeah. there was a time NASCAR was arguably the second biggest sport in the country behind the NFL. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the people, the personalities. And then it, it faded away where they got a bunch of guys who were pretty bland and thinking they're M&Ms and Lowe's and whatever and got, became too corporate and people tuned out. So right. if NASCAR is going to get back to being a bigger sport than it is, and, and there's a road uh, a road to make that happen with some of the popularity we've seen with, with racing here with the, the um, F1 Netflix series and what have you, if it's going to happen, it's going to be because of the personality, because of the people. And Bubba Wallace is one. He, he's, he's got a good sense of humor. He's uh, pretty blunt, and if you ask him a question, an honest question, he'll give you an honest answer. Um, he's, you know, well-spoken and, and uh, not afraid to tell you what he thinks and what he believes, be that on the racetrack or off. And that gets people's attention. And, and honestly, uh, Austin Sindricks, you know, doesn't have the, the activism to his name yet. And I don't know if that's in his, his personality or whether something he'll want to do, but listening to him after his win Sunday night, <laughs> he's, he's a colorful guy. He, he dropped a couple words. I'm not going to say on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> he's got a very good sense of humor. Um, he, I've, you know, he can, he can be pretty self-deprecating and you listen to him for, for that 30 minutes or whatever. I think, all right, you put him on some commercials, you get him some FaceTime. He's a guy that people can get to know and, and get to like. Right. I mean, he's 23. Let's start there. I mean, what were you doing at 23, right? 23 years old. Um, he's already a Daytona 500 champion, right? You know, driving for uh, Roger Penske on his birthday, no less, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I loved your lead because you wrote uh, how <laughs> after after he had just won the race, uh, he realized that he broke the car. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, he, he he busted a tire and busted the starter uh, while he was celebrating. <laughs> so he and apparently it's not the first time he did that. Um, when he won his first Xfinity race, Xfinity is kind of the AAA of NASCAR. Um, yeah. He won his first Xfinity race at Watkins Glen, I think it was, and he he busted something while celebrating there too. So he's 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 got to get that taken care of. Um, but that's a good <laughs> problem to have. That's a great problem to have. Roger Penske will absolutely take that. Um, yes. and, and you know, Centric said, like I said, he's an interesting personality, and he he's a good story too in his own way. Um, yeah. He really, as he was going up the ladder, when he hit Xfinity, he struggled. Um, mm. I mean, I think he wrecked in his first race after like four laps or something. He, he definitely mm. hit a wall moving up the ladder. And racing, it's about money and it's about sponsors. Mm. And a big part of that is connections. Mm-hmm. So his dad is a guy named Tim Sindrick, who's uh, the longtime team president for Team Penske. He's been the mm. race strategist for. One of the best drivers in the IndyCar series, Will Powers, won an Indy 500, won a series championship. So you have Cindric as your last name. That's going to open doors for you. And when things are going well, that's great. When you're not doing well, then that leads to the question, is he just there because of his last name? Yeah. That, that's a legitimate thing. And there are some drivers who, have been, who are in series that you can really question that. 
not anymore. I mean, uh, Austin won the Xfinity Series in, in 2020, came literally, I think it was like three inches short of winning it last year, and then comes out in his first uh, cup season with the freaking Daytona 500. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's you know, it's not a name issue. He, he, he can drive, and he's going to be a big name in this series for a long time. Um, you know, they had the, uh, I wanted to ask you, they had the next-gen cars. What was the reaction to that? And any time, you, you know, you have a 40-car field, um, so much of this race comes down to can you survive the accidents, right? Can you, can you manage yep. to stay on the track? Um, and that takes, that takes some skill, too, in and of itself, right? To, a little bit of luck, to say the least, but also um, you got to learn how to do that, right? Because, I mean, there's going to be wrecks and there's going to be good cars that go out. Yeah, to, to have a chance to win at the end, you have to be there at the end. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, that means just surviving and it, survive in advance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was obviously paying close attention to uh, Eric Amarola, the Hillsborough High yeah. alumnus who's uh, in his last full-time season. And there were a couple of those wrecks at the end. He, it's happening right around him. He could see something was happening or, or his mm-hmm. spidey sense was tingling or whatever. And he mm-hmm. ducked down low and avoided it. So lo and behold, when they restart, green, white, checkered, he's right there in the mix and finishes fifth. Um, so you, you have to know how to do that. Um, and, and yes, there's a lot of luck involved, too. Um, just in terms of the next-gen car, though, I thought it did pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't notice anything particularly different. Now, obviously, the cars look a little bit different. Um, yeah. As I was watching the race, it was a little bit harder to see the numbers, I thought. But, you know whatever that's not a huge deal um there were issues with the tires um that you know and and the wheels and we'll kind of see how that shakes out whether that was a one-time thing or there's a a major issue here that nascar is going to have to look at um and and the most important thing is the safety you know when harrison burton briefly landed upside down and and ended up you know (laughs) landing on the tires at the end of it um that's one of those things that this could have gone really bad but he ends up you know, walking away and you no, know, maybe a scratch or two on him. That's fine. So, I thought they did pretty well. It's you know, Daytona is not going to be the the best gauge for it because it's it's such a crapshoot. I think over the course of the season, we'll get a better feel for does it add more parity? Are we going to see more different drivers winning? Um, are the best teams going to still be the best teams? Are we going to see issues where the best drivers really have a chance to shine? That sort of thing. Tell you what, Matt. It was a heck of a nice day over there. You've had some some bad days at Daytona. That was oh not one goodness. of them. I have had <laughs> I have had some very ugly days. Uh, I, I had forgotten until somebody mentioned it during media day. It's the ten year anniversary of uh, Juan Pablo Montoya running into the oh. jet dryer. You remember that? Oh yes, yes, I do. So I, I don't know if I've told the story on this podcast before, but bear with me a second, dear listener. Um, my, it was my first Daytona five hundred. Was, was twenty twelve, and I had obviously never done it before. So I, I go there, you know, get there the day of, drive back that day. So just one long day. And mm-hmm. I did not think about rain. So it, it, it gets, you know, it gets there's a rain and it gets moved from the day to the night. And then mm-hmm. suddenly they say, you know what, we're going to do this Monday morning. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't have a hotel. You can't stay in Daytona for less than a bazillion dollars. Okay, so how am I going to get a hotel? Where am I going to stay? I don't have any new clothes. I don't have contact solution. I don't have deodorant. I don't have a toothbrush. I don't have a hairbrush. <laughs> You're and going also, to the, it's late. To the drugstore, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but first I got to get a hotel. So well, I, right. I'm thinking, okay, where am I going to stay? So I, I, I get a hotel. 
and I get to target like 10 minutes before they close you know, just mm. by quick change of clothes and all that stuff and like, to the hotel. Uh, the race was going to be Monday at, at like noon, except it's raining. So then they make it Monday night. So I'm like, okay, great. I got to do this whole thing again mm. because now it's a different, uh, it was the craziest experience of, of my, certainly of my young career, maybe of, of you know, <laughs> it's, it's certainly the top five of craziest things I've done in this industry. And then at the end of it, Juan Pablo Montoya freaking runs into a jet drive. So yeah. I, I've, it's just been a crazy two days for me. And then the race is going on. He runs into a jet dryer. And I'm just like, holy crap. What? What? What the heck just happened? I'm trying to figure out what, how do I write this? How am I going to make deadline? Uh, is it going to rain again? Or am I going to stay tonight? All this stuff. So, yeah, I, I will take uh, 70 and a couple clouds in the sky the way it was this past weekend. Yeah, it was gorgeous. And, and the, the, uh, the jet dryer thing, I mean, it burned the track. It, they had I the, did, and I mean, they're bringing they... out freaking Tide, and like <laughs> to, to put on, and, and I'm just thinking like, what deadline's coming up? What 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 am I going to do? I literally have no idea. I'm completely dumbfounded. And and two, I mean, look, I would have been uh, thirty or twenty five, twenty six, whatever it was, and I'm a high school sports writer, right? And the way things were. We had a lot of high school writers. Everybody's kind of trying to, to climb up the ladder. It's a big I don't assignment. have a lot of yeah. opportunities to do something like this, to, to yeah. write something that that's going to make the main papers and the higher bosses are going to read. So I'm thinking, yeah. I need to make this kick butt. But, but I literally have no idea what to do because a car is on fire. A jet dryer is on fire in turn three, and they're putting laundry detergent down. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do I do? So... Yeah, that which, was which you could have used to do the laundry since you didn't bring clean clothes and you had to buy them. So yeah, exactly. I don't remember if I. I think I only bought like one pair of socks. So the second day I'm wearing like the same pair of socks, which is dumb, <laughs> and obviously it's wet and like. So Ooh. now I, whenever I go, I always bring a change of clothes. Is the moral of the story? If it's, there's any chance I'm going anywhere where I might have to stay the night, I bring a change of clothes. There's your lesson. That's so when the Daytona 500 turned into the 24 hours of Sebring. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. Or 48 hours, maybe. Well, you won't have to bring a change of clothes necessarily to the 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Pete, presented this year by RP Funding. That's February 25th through the 27th. You know this race and this track as well as anybody. Um, I Thankfully, it's back in the spring. I know they had, had uh, you know, with COVID, had done it in the fall. It kicks off, um, you know, uh, the season for them, uh, predominantly the open wheel season and, 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 and whatnot. So, Tell me uh, uh, about the, this year's race, about the, the drivers that are, that are expected, and just what what might be different or the same or, or better uh, as you approach this week. So the first thing that's going to be better is it will feel like the Grand Prix again. Last right. year was better than it was, but still not great. Mm-hmm. Um, this year it's it's you know back to full capacity. Um, the paddock area is open. Uh, the paddock is the the garage kind of area. It's like the locker room of auto yeah. racing more or less. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I think it's really cool because you can walk by and see the people working on their race cars. Even if you don't know what the heck they're doing, uh, imagine like going into a locker room before the NBA finals, watching LeBron sure. James get ready. That's oh, what yeah. you get to do right there. And the drivers are really accessible. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the first thing that I'd tell the kind of the, the average fan. Um, as far as the, the series and everything, IndyCar, I, I think it, I like it more than NASCAR just to, to watch on my couch because there's so much parody. 
Yeah, there's a couple of really good teams. Team Penske uh, is always going to be really good. Andretti Autosport, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, they're always going to be really, really good. Um, but there's not a huge gap between the top drivers and the next tier. And depending on the the race conditions, the strategy, how the, the cautions fall, it, it's you know not anybody can win, but 15 drivers can win out of the field on, on any Saturday or, or Sunday. So I, I think that's really exciting. Um, in terms of the, the race itself, Colton Herta is probably the guy to beat. Um, he's a 21-year-old uh, Bel Air resident, L- lives in Bel Air and Pinellas about 80% of the time, originally from California. Mm-hmm. And he is a name that race fans, if they don't know, they need to know. Um, you know, he's he's a championship contender, won the Grand Prix last year, won a couple other races, I expect him to be fully in the mix to, to win the series title this year. And and, and beyond that, too. I mean, uh, Andretti, his his team, has talked a lot in the past about getting a, a Formula One ride. And F1 is still the most prestigious racing series in the world. And Colton Herta would be the driver of that or one of the drivers of that. And, and that there's stuff moving there. So, you know, spoiler, one thing I'm writing this week is, you know, enjoy this guy while he's here because he's one of the best uh, drivers in this country. He's 21 years old, lives in Pinellas County. He's not going to be here long. He, he has mm. a very, very bright future ahead of him. So you get a chance to kind of enjoy that at the Grand Prix. And then one mm. other thing that I'll mention too, um, Elio Castroneves is, is back this year. Um, he's been, you know, he was a mainstay of IndyCar for quite some time. Um, and then uh, lost his full-time ride at Penske. He's done some other things, kept racing in the Indy 500, won it last year to, to you know, you know, won four, his fourth, which is a historic accomplishment, especially at age, I think it was 45, 46. And he, he's back now in a full-time ride. So he'll be in the Grand Prix for the first time since uh, 2017. And he, he's won it a couple times in the past. So a, a real, uh, you know, talk about colorful guys, Elio's. He's probably the most magnetic personality I've dealt with in sports. If he's not That's one, not... He's, he's very, very close. You're not kidding, Matt. I had a chance to meet him at a Super Bowl party, of all things, many years ago, and uh, he was showing off his Indy 500 ring, which he had won, and, and I don't know if it was his father or somebody relative, somebody thought that this was the, the, the greatest thing he had ever accomplished, and it is a, it is a great race to win, but a, an unbelievable personality. We talked to him for a long time. I could have I followed him around. He was, he's just that. He's an iconic driver, but just a great guy to, to, to talk to. I remember I was an intern at the Indianapolis Star in 2008 um, for, you know, obviously the big thing for that summer was leading up to the Indy 500. And I remember him walking into the media center and he's like, hey, everybody. It's like like uh, Dr. Nick on The Simpsons. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. <laughs> Where like everybody acknowledges like him. And you could just feel the energy that this guy exudes. I, mean, I don't think he's ever had a bad day in his life. No. Um, and it's uh, he's he's. He's the type of guy that you want to be around and just an electric, magnetic personality um, that, you know, it's good to have him back at the Grand Prix. Uh, it's terrific if you get a chance to uh, to walk by the paddock where he's at. Um, he may say hello to you and then some. So um, that's that's a great opportunity. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So looking forward to this race. I, wanna, I, I have to uh, get your opinion on a couple things that involve uh, uh, well, Kyle Trask and then also the uh, nonsense going on with the college football playoff remaining at four games. I know you, you've got an opinion on that and, and should. I do. Um, I do. Let, let, let me start with Kyle Trask because there's a guy that you covered at the University of Florida. Um, I got to watch him practice some last year. Mostly he would come out early a half hour before and, and work on his throwing, and he's changed his body a little bit, and his feet are not as clunky. And you know He's made some tangible improvements that you can actually see but we don't know what he's going to be as an NFL quarterback because he was in, you know, he was a redshirt year. I mean, he, he literally did not get a uniform on game day uh, for 17 weeks, including and then two more in the playoffs. And so um, that's not really all that different, maybe from the path that he took in high school and in college. It's to some respects. Um, but look, he's going to get an opportunity uh, unless they, unless I'm wrong, and they're able to pry a Russell Wilson away or. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded here. I don't, I don't think Deshaun Watson, somebody the owners will sign off on. But I think Kyle Trask is going to be in the mix, and they like him better, by the way, than any quarterback in this year's draft, which isn't necessarily saying a lot, but there are some quarterbacks that are going to be taken, you know, um, in, in maybe even in the top 10 this year. And, and the Bucs have, have firmly said they like Kyle better than any of those guys, and so they're not inclined to draft a quarterback. So that said, um, you know, I, I don't know this. You watch – him you watched Mac Jones on the field together we saw the success Mac Jones had with a very defensive oriented team a year ago he wasn't spectacular but there was a time when people were talking about him as an MVP candidate um what's your thoughts on on Kyle Trask and just whether or not you know when he gets his shot he will uh he will take advantage of it the way he did in college and high school so the Bucks like Kyle Trask better than Kenny Pickett that's what they tell me that's what they t- now. Now let's be honest. They're picking twenty seventh, so it's possible okay, that right. that that they realize that Pickett is out of out of their stratosphere. Um, but they have said, for the record, they like Trask better than the quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft. Which is surprising. I mean, they took draft. They took Trask with the final pick of the of the second round. You know, a year ago, which was you know what sixty fourth or whatever. Yeah. I- that that interesting and, and i mean some of yeah some of it's spin because you know like yeah kenny pickett's not falling to 28 or wherever they exactly. are so you exactly can, you can say that um so my thing on kyle Trask is i still don't know about the arm strength um uh, really i shouldn't say the arm strength it's just the zip on his passes the, the example I, i'm sure i've used it on this show but and i'm sure i've written it um go back to his first game uh, first real game, um, first start, uh, 2019 against Tennessee, week after Felipe Franks hurts his ankle against Kentucky. It was either the first or third throw. I think it was the first throw of his of his game. It's a deep ball down the middle to Trayvon Grimes, if I remember. And, you know, they got 40 yards or something out of it. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a really nice play. Um, talk, to, talk to him and uh, talk to the receiver and, and Trask afterward. Trask threw it to his third option. It was the third read on it. Again, first start, first throw, third read. Third read. Goes through the progression. Yeah. Okay. That's really impressive. So mm-hmm. I remember thinking at the time, if Felipe Franks were in there, 
I don't know that Franks would have made that read to find the guy for, for 40 mm-hmm. yards. Mm-hmm. Trask did. However, if Felipe Franks makes that throw, instead of 40 yards, it's a touchdown because he throws it a little bit further, Grimes yeah. runs under it, catch and run, touchdown. So that's the difference between what I saw with Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. Franks had the arm, I mean, absolute yeah. cannon, but couldn't always make the read to get it to the right guy. Trask can make the read, but I I did not see the arm strength necessarily to 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 thrive. Um, now I'm nitpicking here because he had a fantastic career. Um, he he, you know, I'm not going to doubt the guy. I'm not going to. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not going to doubt him after everything that he's he's been through and everything that he's done. But from just when I watched him play, you know, you you mentioned the Mac Jones. Mac Jones has a better arm, a stronger arm. And Kyle Trask pass passes they they'll get there, but they'll get there on their own time. Don't rush them; they'll, yeah. they're on their way. Okay, just don't worry about it. They, it will get there. <laughs> and you can you can work at that. You can, you can throw kind of leisurely. And I'm, I'm being a little facetious, obviously. You don't need that zip as much in college, but in the NFL, where the windows are that much smaller, the cornerback is an inch or two taller, and also you know runs a four four. And also has arms that are a little bit longer. That window that he had when he was throwing in college, that's a lot smaller now or doesn't exist. So yeah. having the, the, the little less zip on his passes, that can, that's the difference between a touchdown in college and an interception in the NFL. So that's still the concern that I have. I have no doubt in my mind that he'll be able to process things well. And, and mm-hmm. that you know, he's a smart guy. He knows football. Um, handled a couple different offenses at florida i think he will be able to do that aspect of it the the x's and o's here's the reads i just question the the zip on the pass and the physical tools to be a successful nfl starter i'm not saying he can't that's just the main question that i still have yeah and i i think that's probably why he was still there at 64 you know when the when the bucks drafted him um there were you know a number of quarterbacks uh, that might have gone ahead of him, but and and the fact is we don't know what we don't know. I I've watched him throw the football. I think he's throwing it better. I don't know how much velocity you can gain. I think you can gain some, but the biggest thing is uh, uh, with respect to those windows is how quickly can you anticipate where to go with the ball? And when you do throw it, how accurate are you? You know, I look. There's guys that can throw it through a brick wall, but they have no idea where it's going. Um, right. Pretty much everybody that gets to the NFL, they can all throw the football. I mean, let's be honest. Otherwise, I would have a job as a third quarterback or would have had one for years. But um, but I but I think they don't just give them away. But I, I, I do think you, you make a good point is that um, he's going to he's going to have to, to account for the fact that he doesn't have the strongest arm. And he, he's able to do it in college. Will he be able to do it in the NFL? And I think he's going to get the chance to show that. I, I don't know, though, that they're looking at him this year as, hey, we're okay. We lost Tom Brady, but we got Kyle Trask, and he's ready. I don't think they feel that way because they have no evidence of it. They just simply haven't had him on the, on the field. I think he had you know one or two preseason games that he played extensively in, and that was it for the rest of the year. And that literally did not get a jersey on Sunday for 18 straight weeks. So um, you know I'm not really sure where they're headed with that, but I just wanted to get your input on it. Um, also, uh, <laughs> college football, the sport that you cover is crazy. And, and uh-huh. I thought, I thought we were headed to a place of sanity whereby, uh, they would expand the playoffs to 12 teams. There seemed to be a financial component 
uh, in favor of that. There were even commissioners of various leagues that said they would vote for it, and they did not. So what the hell happened? How are we locked <laughs> into a 14 playoff system again? College football is fantastic. I, I, I go back and forth between oh, – look, I, nobody's in charge of college football. I, I say that all the time. Nobody is in charge. And sometimes that's a good thing because it leads to craziness and, and, and fun. And, and sometimes that's a bad thing. So just to kind of depends on, on the story and what's going on. Right now it's a bad thing because, like you said, the, the, the Pac-12 commissioner you – know, the Pac-12 came out a while ago and said, we are in favor of literally any playoff thing. Here are eight different scenarios. We would uh, want, want any of them. They were better than what we have now. And then when it came time to vote, the vote was eight to three with three no's, one of which was the Pac-12. Because they're in the alliance, that the, the, the pinky swear promise alliance with the ACC and the Big Ten. And the Big Ten it has been adamant that it's, you know, when, when it expands to 12, the Power Five conferences should get in, whoever wins the Power Five conference should get an automatic bid. That, that's one of their sticking points. It's dumb because almost all the time the, power, the Big Ten champion is going to be in. We could run this scenario a thousand times and it'll be like five times it doesn't work out. Yeah. So that's one of their sticking points. And the ACC's sticking point is, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on with college football right now. Like we got to figure out, uh, you know, uh, how, to, how to keep players from playing too many games. And then we got, uh, which is a legitimate thing, by the way. I, I get that. And then there's NIL and there's all this other stuff going on. Do we really want to expand right now? And maybe we should figure these other things out first. Because mm. you, you can't walk and chew gum at the same time, right. apparently. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It, it's, it's, it makes no sense. It doesn't help anybody. When you're thinking about who a four-team playoff helps, honestly, it's the SEC and Big Ten. Um, they're going to be in it every single year, mm. or you know, almost every year. SEC is, at this point, they're going to have two a lot of years. And mm. if they have two, well, who doesn't get one? Uh, the ACC. Um, we, it's not crazy to think that Clemson's not going to be Clemson much longer. Right. I, I'm not, I'm not predicting it, but you know, th- th- this past year where Clemson only won 10 games, that could have been a blip or that could be the, the, the sign that Camelot's not working great and, and they mm-hmm. start to slip. And if they're, if the AC, you know, Clemson slips in the ACC, Florida state's not ready to come up and take that throne. And be a playoff team. Maybe Miami will get there in a year or two, but they're not there yet. Not Virginia Tech, not North Carolina. There's nobody. So, okay, cross the ACC out. Um, the Pac-12 hasn't made it since the 2016 season, if I remember right. Um, maybe USC will get there with Lincoln Riley soon. I, I think that's has a good chance of happening. But as of right now, they're not there. Yet two of those three decided not to vote for it. it it's just it's mind-boggling that they've spent eight months all these meetings to come to, you know, and really they spent two years before that coming up with a plan. And then they had a plan and they unveiled it and spent eight months talking about it and all these other new meetings. And they said, nah, you know what, we're good. It's dumb. It makes no sense. It doesn't really help anybody. There, there are, I, I can go on and on about this, but there, there are reasonable things where people can disagree, particularly about whether players are too, playing too many games in a 12-team playoff. Well, then let's address that, right? Like, is, is, it, is there a law that you have to play 12 regular season games? Can we get rid of them, of one of them? Or maybe we're, um, 
one of those 12 is a conference championship game, and the other guys in that conference who aren't in the league title game have another conference game that we figure out during the season. You could do that. You could get rid of the conference championship games because, for the most part, they're not needed. Most of, you know, most of the time, I mean, Georgia didn't win the SEC but won the national championship. Exactly. So, so what, what are we doing here? So, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's plenty of other examples like that one. So maybe we can do that. Maybe we can do something with the pace of play in terms of how often the clock stops. So you're saving, I'm making this up, 10 to 20 plays a game mm-hmm. just on how you run the clock. And if you add that up over the course of a season, you're saving an extra game in terms of the, the wear and tear on the bodies. So there are things that can be done and to just say, no, we're not going to do it. Nah, we're good. It's insane because they're, they're still going to have to have to figure it out because it's, it's four more years of this. And at that point, you know, sometime really in the next probably a year or two, they're going to have to say, what's the what's playoff 2.0 look like? And they're still going to have these same issues to deal with. NIL is not going to get fixed tomorrow. It's not. So so they're just going to spend another year or two figuring out the things that they probably could have figured out in the last eight months if everybody had come in with good faith and work together to come through these things. I, it's just it's just mind boggling. It makes no sense. It's dumb. Um, you want me to keep going? No, you're good. I get the idea. And I, <laughs> I don't disagree with anything you've said because what's really stunning to me is that, you know, the sudden concern about the extended season, right? Like this is the biggest, we're worried about the student athletes here. That's always code for, you know, we're not worried about the student athletes. It's something else. But there's so much money to be made that I thought this was a no-brainer. I thought, you know, you start playing playoff games uh, with 12 teams, all of a sudden the networks are going to go crazy at some point. I mean, they may have a deal that locks them into whatever in the future uh, for the next four years. I don't know the particulars of that. Um, but all of a sudden, uh, people are now glued to all those playoff games. And furthermore, when you talk about it, it – <laughs> It seems a little like self-centered with respect to the ACC or the SEC in the Big Ten. I get where they're coming from. I don't get where the other conferences are because, to me, now if I'm a player trying to choose between Alabama, well, maybe that's a bad example, but some team in the SEC and somewhere else, if I know that I can play for a national championship, in other words, if I know I can be with a program that's a top-12 program, suddenly – that removes, you know, the 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 lone one one of the major components of why I would only sign with an SEC team, and and uh-huh. maybe that's not good for their conference, but it's great for everybody else in college football. It brings some parity to the sport, the way the NCAA basketball tournament did for for its sport, and I think everybody wins. And I, I just, you're right, it's insane to me, and I can't believe these conferences that have so much to gain voted against this. Um, it, you're right. Um, I, I do think it, it can change the paradigm in recruiting a little bit because now the top guys get the top guys every single year. And right. if in the future there is a scenario where there's a 12-team playoff and, and you can a team you know, a recruit can look at that and say, look, these guys made the playoff last year. Yeah. If I'm there, I can help them break through. There you and go. And anything is will, – will that result in a different national champion? I don't Maybe know. Maybe not. Maybe, yeah. maybe not, but maybe I think not right it away. can help. Mm-hmm. It can help because right now, look, I have not done any real research on the 22 season yet. I, I'm, that's probably surprising. Um, but I can tell you off the top of my head, write, write this down. National champion is either going to be Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama. 
I, yeah. Maybe Texas you, A&M's ready. I don't think so quite yet. But realistically, it's one of those three. You could take, take it that, out go to hat. Vegas, and you're good. I mean, you're good. You're good every year. You may not make a lot of money because the odds are in their favor, but you're good. I mean, that's the way it's going to break down, and it will. And, and as as long as we're in this situation, and mm-hmm. the idea that they de- the, the, the powers that be decided they couldn't come to an agreement on this, it's so ridiculous because it's it's it was all it's it's common sense could have prevailed and it didn't and you know i i did something a, a week or two ago on looking at all of the um positions that billy napier's added to his his gator staff it's 49 people he's hired or retained for various positions like it's like an associate director of recruiting strategy and director of recruiting innovation and director of research and evaluation all this stuff here's where i'm going with it Florida, I think most schools in really every conference needs a director of common sense or at least a director of not doing <laughs> stupid crap. And college football does not have a director of not doing stupid crap because if I were there as director of common sense, I could say, look, guys, all of you are going to make more money on this, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big Ten, you're really worried about something that's going to happen like once every 20 years. Really? You're going to slow everything down for something that's going to happen once every 20 years? ACC, you're worried about all these other things. We'll keep working on them on the side while we move forward with this. It's Pac-12, yes, the Rose Bowl is a big deal. We'll figure it out. Yes, the Rose Bowl is special. Treat it special. Boom. Done. And yet here we are. Uh, I mean, it would have been better for the big bowls. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at the Peach Bowl with, with Pitt and Michigan State without Kenneth Walker III and Kenny Pickett. Uh, I watched a lot of it, but I would have been a lot more interested if the best players were playing in it. They're um, opting out. Yeah, I mean, this is another reason to, to you know to save the bowl system and 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 make those more meaningful. And, and again, it, man, you just line up the reasons, Matt. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, we're, we're, the other big thing that's been coming out is there's been some rumblings about how much the Big Ten's going to make in their next TV contract. Um, which I think expires in 23, if I remember right. Anyway, supposedly they might make something along the lines of $1 billion a year, $1 billion um, in TV. Now, imagine a scenario where college football is even bigger because of this playoff. And the Wisconsin-Minnesota game, that means a lot to the people of Wisconsin-Minnesota. I'm not going to besmirch that. But let's say Wisconsin's got a chance at going to the playoff here. Now Wisconsin-Minnesota means a lot more to Joe and Jane Fan in Tampa and Texas mm-hmm. and to, uh, Topeka, whatever. Mm-hmm. Especially if my team, whatever it is, is on that you know in that playoff bubble too. Well, I have a lot more vested interest in Wisconsin-Minnesota because I'm rooting against the Gophers to help my yeah. team. So like, yeah. there's all sorts of things like that where more games will matter with a 12-team playoff, and that increases the stakes for the regular season games. I think would increase viewership. I think it would increase attendance on and on and on and on. But because they don't have a director of common sense, they're still in this position where they're going to be talking about it for another two years before trying to get something done before I think it's 27. And in the meantime, uh, we'll, we'll watch Ohio state, Georgia in the national championship game this next year. No, and I shouldn't say that it'll be Ohio state Bama. 
Oh, at least Ohio State. I can root. I can root for my namesake, C.J. Stroud. Maybe he can win a national championship for the family. But um, man, it, it just—I uh, could talk to you this, and we have spoken now for an hour, <laughs> so I could do two or three hours on this if uh, if we had the time. Matt Baker is going to be uh, covering the 18th annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding. That's going to be February 25th through the 27th. You can visit gpsaintpete.com. For race information and tickets and read Matt on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks so much, Matt. Enjoy the racing. You got it. Thanks, Rick. All right. Tomorrow we're going to have our uh, very popular and uh, guaranteed for success mailbag segment. Here's what you do. Submit your questions to us on Twitter at, Sp- at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com mailbag questions tomorrow for Steve Versnick I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times have a great day everybody hi this is Craig Robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.